Welcome to the ministry of Pastor Jeff Taylor. We hope you will find life-changing truths as you hear today's message. Pastor Taylor believes that no word of God is void of power. Now, let us join a live service already in progress. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 5. The book of 2 Kings chapter number 5. I'm going to share a message uh, with an unusual title this morning. I'm just going to entitle this message, Two Mule Loads of Earth. Two Mule Loads of Earth. Hallelujah. And uh, for those of you that have known, I have preached this once before here at this church, and then there's been others that has been with me. We went over to a, a small black church uh, over in, uh, you remember, I think, Patricia, you and Gary were there. And, uh, boy, we had a time that night, didn't we? Hallelujah. There's nobody that can get together with you more than the black people can. I'll tell you what, when you preach to black people, buddy, they get with you and they get on it. So uh, I want you to just, I don't know, just act black this morning, all right? <laughs> just get with it, all right? Hallelujah. Don't do it out of insincerity or out of engine, but just start drawing on the Holy Ghost. That's the main thing is when, when you ha- I have a responsibility to study before God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, but you have a responsibility to draw on the Holy Ghost. You have a responsibility to draw from heaven because I'll study in the natural and believe God for revelation, but at the same time, you've got to, you've got to allow, you've got to allow yourself to let the Holy Ghost speak to you and say, Lord, I come to hear from you. I know pastor's done, he's done a job to study, but Lord, I'm going to, I, no matter what he's done, I'm going to, I'm going to hear from you today. Glory to God. Well, second Kings chapter five, and we're going to take for a text this morning, verse number 17. And so Naaman said, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth. For your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods but to the Lord. Now, we have to understand something here in this uh, scripture, what Naaman is doing. Uh, Most of us are familiar with Naaman and uh, Naaman, you know, him being the only leper in this time that gets healed. But I want to back up a little bit. To uh, and tell you a little bit of uh, background about this story, uh, let's begin here in verse number one. It says now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was uh, also a mighty man of valor, but everybody say but he he was a leper. Matter of fact, you know, Syria, you have to understand something. At this point in time in the writings of, uh, in Second Kings, Syria is the greatest military power in that whole region. They basically had the prominence or the occupancy of that whole area. They had the military stronghold of that and, and really under the command of Naaman. Naaman was a great general in this Syrian army. He was one of the ones that the Lord, the Bible says here, that he had given him the victory. Now listen real carefully. If there's anything we know is that we like to celebrate and countries like to celebrate military successes. I, I don't know about you. I'm thankful for the president that we have now. Thank God for the president that we have. Thank God for that. But I want you to know something. Had there been uh, other people, they would have given uh, our president a very good run at the presidency. And one namely, Colin Powell. 
Now, thank God Colin Powell's on the cabinet, but at the same time, we like our military leader. I mean, our first president of this nation was a great military general, George Washington. And we have since then put a lot of great military leaders in the leadership of this country. So what I'm saying is, is that this was a great man. He was great of valor. He was great of honor. But in the even in this great campaign that he had won for Syria and all the success he had, he finally had to come to the point where he realized he has become, he has contracted a disease that is going to cripple his career as a general. I want you to understand something. Leprosy. I've been to India. I have seen lepers and I have seen leper, and leprosy is a tragic disease. Leprosy is one that affects the skin, the bone, it affects the muscle, it deteriorates everything and collapses. I mean, literally takes a toll on the whole human body. From the standpoint is that, you know, things will begin to fall off of a person and, and it is a, a crisis disease. And, it, and literally in these, in these areas where leprosy still is, even today, they will take lepers and they will quarantine them to what they call leper colonies. And so here is this great military power. Here is this great general of the Syrian army and he's contracted a disease of leprosy. Now he has to not only be faced with separation from his military outpost and his command of the Syrian army, but he also has to under, he also is faced with the fact that it may cost him isolation from his family. Now I don't know about you, but I could give up easily my position in life, but it would be very difficult to give up my family and their influence and their love and my contact with them. And this is exactly what Naaman was faced with. So, notice here in verse number 2, the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife, and then she said to her, she was waiting on, in other words, she was serving her. Verse number 3, and she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. I want you to notice this verse right real quickly. I just want to quickly mention this, how important it is for you, no matter how... May, maybe insignificant your life, your experience, your testimony might seem to be how important it is to places like this. Did you notice this? Here's this little girl. Here's this little girl. All she's got is knowledge of a prophet. And this prophet is in Samaria. He's in Israel and he has a healing ministry. And so he says to her, he says, she says to her uh, master, her mistress, he says, she says, oh, if only my master were in Israel because there's a prophet who heals in Israel. Well, it got wind to back to, uh, I'm sure if, you know, faced with the, I know that if Kelly had someone uh, waiting on her and I had contracted leprosy and, and um, yet, uh, you know, if uh, if that little girl had told her, say, hey, there's hope over here in Israel, go down and see this prophet, I know what Kelly would do. Now, what do you think that this wife did to her husband? She said, get yourself down there, boy. <laughs> we don't want you leaving this house. 
You know, and so he, here he goes. He, so he's going to go tell his king. He's going to go tell his master. And his king says, uh, uh, his king says, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you 75, or uh, was it 75 uh, talents of gold, which is literally, uh, again, one talent is about 75 pounds worth uh, of weight. Uh, so he's going to give him 75, I think it is. What is it? He told his master, verse 4, Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is in, from the land of Israel. And the king said, Go, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten talents of silver. We're talking about 750 pounds of silver. Notice this, and then 6,000 shekels of gold. That's a bunch. Anything 6,000 of gold. That'd be a bunch. Notice this. And ten Armani suits. Is that what that said? No, ten. Ten changes of clothes. <laughs> That's my version. <laughs> Ten Armani suits. And notice this here. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel. Now notice what happens. He's going down there. He's taking... Now notice, obviously generals don't travel alone, do they, in this area? They travel in an entourage. So he's got this entire entourage that has left Syria. He's got 75 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 Armani suits. And going down, and he's got a letter from the king of Syria, who is the great military power of that country. He's the great military presence in that area. And he goes to the king of Israel and hands him the letter. Now, the, he, he hands the king of Israel the letter, and the king of Israel rends his clothes, or the Bible says he rips his clothes. They did a lot of ripping of their clothes in these days. Uh, they, they ripped their clothes. He ripped his clothes apart. And he said this. Notice this. Verse number 6. He said, now the letter said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Verse number 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, I Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends... Uh, a man to me to heal him of his leprosy. Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Now here, Naaman, he's, he's just desperate. How I many know that he doesn't have any hope unless God does something? He has no hope here. And so he's taken all these, all this riches and reward and making an offering to him saying, listen, I'll trade all this stuff if I can just get my health back. And so he goes to the king of Israel. The king of Israel looks and says, wait a minute. This is a ploy to try to get me into a, into a fight. It's a trying to ploy to, to put me and to tempt me into a position that here he said, you know, we can heal and we can. I'm not God that I can, you know, kill and make alive. And now this king of, he's picking on us and now we're gonna, now he's gonna come and fight, fight us. And now he's threatened and he's being terrorized. By something that he can't do. It's something impossible. But notice here verse 8. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. That he sent his uh, sent a word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? <laughs> Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Here's the mistake that Naaman did. Is that when you're looking for the impossible... You can't go to the government first. (laughs) 
Now, I'm all for our government. Thank God for democracy. Thank God for America. But ladies and gentlemen, when you need a miracle, the government can't help you. (laughs) When you need something done from the realm of the impossible, the government can't help you. And he says, hey, king, quit tearing up your clothes. Elisha says, quit tearing up your clothes and send them where they can get a miracle. Send them where you can get a miracle. And that is where the church comes in. Amen. Now, the church is supposed to rise up in this day and be the place where the impossible miracles begin to happen. Hallelujah. (laughs) I don't know about you, but the government can only do so much, but the church can get the impossible done. Amen. Verse number nine, then Naaman went with his, all his horses and chariots, and he stood at the door of Elisha, at Elisha's house, and Elisha sent a messenger to him. And said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious. And went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Ammonon and the whatever that river is, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. Notice this, first of all, that Naaman, again, he is a general of an army. He entertains kings. He goes to the finest balls. He goes to the finest dances. He entertains princes and princesses. He, he's around royalty all the time. He is not be, he's not very pleased with being cast off with the help. See, Elisha didn't even go out to meet the man. In other words, he felt it was discourteous that he didn't even go out and meet him. That literally what he did is he sent him off and, and sent him off with the help. And he says, wait a minute, I have been disdained. Hey, first of all, I wanted him to come out, stand before me and wave his hand over the place and heal me. In other words, how many times have we done this when we need a miracle that we have a preconceived idea of how it's supposed to be done? And there's nobody worse sometimes than some even spirit-filled Christians that think you got to have so-and-so lay your hands on them. you got to say these right words. If I could just get one word of knowledge, if the pressure will get just one word of knowledge, then I know that God wants me to be healed or this way or that way. And we get our, we set ourselves up to be disappointed. And I've had him go out of church just like Naaman left Elijah. Elijah, he, he, he left mad. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this guy's got a temper. Y'all don't look at me so sanctimoniously this morning. I mean, there's been times when, I mean, I've been to church and I thought, you know, man, God's going to do something. He's going to do this way. And I went to a church with a preconceived idea that this is exactly how it's going to happen. And it didn't happen that way. And I went and I just thinking, you know, why did I drive so far to come this for this? Did I come so far? But see, the thing about it is if I had been in faith, I would have got what I what I believed. I remember going to a, I remember going to a church in Gadsden, Alabama. My friend Steve Ball, while he was pastoring there, he was uh, he was uh, pastoring, and he had Pastor Rod Parsley over there one night. And uh, so I I set myself up. I said, "Bless God, I, I'm going, I, I'm going, and I'm believing. I'm receiving a fresh anointing for preaching." I don't want to preach like Rod Parsley. I want to preach like the way God wanted me to preach. But at the same time, I knew that, that Pastor Rod Parsley has got a tremendous he- preaching anointing on his life. And so I said, you know, bless God, when, when hands are laid upon me, I set myself up. I said, when hands are laid upon me tonight, whenever during the service, I just believe I'm going to receive the he- that, that uh, preaching anointing, a fresh preaching anointing. I just believe I'm going to receive that. 
Well, I got to the meeting and Pastor Parsley had gotten there and uh, he was preaching along and, and uh, you know, at the whole service he didn't lay hands upon anybody except one person. And uh, and that was when he's standing up, you know, he's he stands up in chairs and preaches like this. He's standing, and then he got up on the back of the chair, and I was standing on, I was sitting in the second row, and we're all standing because he's preaching, you know, with his hair on fire. And, uh, and he, you know, he's preaching, and all of a sudden he stood up on the back of that, and he kind of went like this, and I thought, oh, I better, you know, I'm going to hold him because I don't want him to fall on me or, you know, just to fall because it'd mess up his message, you know. And, of course, you know, they... The uh, people that were from some of his teeth said, don't touch him, don't touch him. I thought, well, you know, uh, it'd be better than falling. But at the same time, he put his hand on my head just like that. And, uh, and, and, then, uh, and then he got down and laid his hand on me again. And then he went back to preaching and all of a sudden, you know, and, uh, and, and then you come time to the end of the service where he's gonna, where I figured, you know, that's a good time to have the altar call. How many know that's the, always the good time for Pentecost to have the altar call is at the end of the service, right? I think he's going to have a line. He's going to preach it. He's going to have everybody. He's going to lay hands on people. And I just thought, oh, praise God, I'm going to get ready. And, you know, he just took the offering and left. That was it. And I was, I went out of there. I, got, I closed my Bible. I think, bless God. I, what? He's not going to lay hands on anybody. He's not going to lay hands on me. He's not going to lay hands on me. And I believe God to, when hands are laid upon me, I'm going to get a fresh preaching anointing. And so I went away, and I'll just be honest with you. I got in my car. I'm heading back to my motel, and I was kind of upset, kind of like Naaman was. I was upset. I thought, bless God, I guess I didn't get it because he didn't lay hands on me. But the Holy Ghost said right up on the inside of me, he said, he did too lay hands on you. He said, you were the only one in the whole building he laid hands on. I said, I said, that's right. He put his hand on me. He put his hand on me not only when he steady himself, because it messed my hair up. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> but that's when I had a perm up there, and that, it didn't mess it up that much. <laughs> that was bad. That was that was terrible. Anyway, uh, and then they hand on me again. Well, you know, I started re- I started realizing I was out of out of about. They had five overflow rooms. They had, I mean, they had that place packed out. There was probably about 25,000, 3,000 people. 2,500 to 3,000 people there. And I was the only one out of 3,000 that got hands laid on me. And you know what? When I started stirring myself up with that, I realized I did get it and didn't even realize it. Because my faith was at work. Amen? But how many know, like Naaman, sometimes we come in and we want to say, oh, if he just do this, do that. He could have almost talked himself out of his miracle except somebody. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever worked for someone that was furious, a furious leader? You ever worked for a, <laughs> you ever worked for a mad manager? You know, someone that was always, you know, upset? Well, you know, how many know when he's mad, you don't approach him very easily when he's mad? You know what I'm talking about? And and somebody worked up the guts. Notice this. Somebody worked up. Notice this, verse 13. And his servants came near. You know, that kind of makes me feel like they came near, but not too close. (laughs) They came near, but not too close. Notice this. His servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Now, you have to understand something. You don't get to be a great military man by being unreasonable. 
You don't get to be a great leader by being unreasonable. And he got to thinking, well, well you know, I, I, you know, I did come all this way and I got all this stuff. And, I, you know, he, he didn't go out the way I wanted to, but, you know, you're right. Now, can you take just for a moment? Here's the guy. Now, let's just say in our modern time with the stars on his shoulder, the badges of uh, medals of honor on his that he's got to relinquish his his sidearm, his sword. He's got to take off all of this stuff and get into the murky water of the Chattahoochee. (laughs) Now, in all honesty, this is about the same analogy the way that Jordan was. He didn't want to get in that water. It was filthy water, just as almost as bad as the Chattahoochee is here in Atlanta. And he said, here he is getting down off of his horse disrobing and getting over and stepping into that water in front of all his entourage and thinking, what am I doing? Now, isn't that exactly how sometimes we feel? Why am I calling those things that be not as though they were? Why am I saying I'm getting better jobs when everything in the earth and everything in our nation is saying recession's coming? And why am I saying that I'm going to be financially prosperous when everything is saying, you know, why am I saying all this when everything else looks? And that's exactly what he did. He, ste- he stepped out of that, off that horse and got down into that water. And, uh, and then he said, you know, what did the prophet say? Seven times? So he dipped seven times. Now, he probably felt foolish until... That seventh time up. He probably felt foolish on the sixth time down thinking, I don't know. I'm just doing what the word said. I'm just doing what the Word and what the man of God said to do. He said, if I do this, that I'll be healed. He said, if I, and I don't feel a thing. I don't, it doesn't look any better. It doesn't look any different until he finally obeyed the simple obedience that was required of him. And he just dipped the seventh time and he come up and now he's not mad anymore. <laughs> I don't know. He's not mad anymore. And notice this, notice this, verse number seven, uh, verse number 14. So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Ladies and gentlemen, we have to realize this. He was not just healed. He got his entire life back. He got his military post secured. He's now reconciled to his family. He can now embrace his children for the rest of his life, even probably his grandchildren. But notice this verse 15. And when he returned to the man of God and he and all his aides and came to stood before him, he said, indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift for, from your servant. But he said, now this is Elisha. But he said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged, again, Naaman urged him to take it, but he refused. This is the first place and the only place in the Bible that I see that a preacher refused an offering. (laughs) Most preachers would say, praise God, the Lord has spoken. (laughs) Obey God, brother. (laughs) But listen real carefully. Elisha was very careful not to accept this gift on the basis that Naaman was trying to ascribe the credit for the healing 
to the man and not to God. And so Elisha says, I'm not taking this money. There is no way I'm taking... You know, I don't understand how you could refuse 10 Armani suits. But he did. Obviously, the Lord had spoken to him. Now, here's my point. Naaman is a brilliant man. Notice here in verse number 17 again. Now, here's our text. So Naaman said to him, Then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offerings or sacrifice to other gods, but only to the Lord. Now, what he is saying, he has a brilliant mind. Naaman is saying, if you're not going to take this offering, then give me as much earth as two pack mules can carry. Now, everybody thinks, you know, well, how does that make him brilliant? Is it because if he's not going to take that, what he has said is, I was serving all these other Syrian gods. I had all these other gods. And then when I got desperate, when I needed a miracle, all these other gods couldn't do anything. So when I get home, I'm firing them all. And there's not going to be any more burnt offerings or any sacrifices made to any other gods, but only to God alone. So therefore, if you're not going to take this money, I need some ground from this earth. I'm recognizing that God of the God of Israel, not just the God of the people of Israel, but the God of the land of Israel. He has established a covenant with them. So I want to take some of this land back so that when I go back to the foreign land of Assyria, to Israel, I'll have some of this ground to stand on because when I need to talk to this God, I'll stand on this kind of ground and I know if I get on the right ground, this God that is a covenant of Israel, He'll hear me and He'll do it just like He did with the leprosy. Now that's what the key is. Is getting on the right ground. If you can get on the right ground. See what he was talking about is the covenant that God made with Abraham. Go with me if you will to back to Genesis chapter 15. The book of Genesis chapter 15. But notice here at verse number, verse, verse number 1 of chapter 15 of Genesis. It says here, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your exceeding great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? See that I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my own house is he is my heir. Now, this is again Eliezer he's talking about. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, and said, This one shall not be your heir, but one whom you will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look uh, look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. Verse 7. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it. Now let me ask you a question. Every eye right here, take 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 your eyes off your Bible for just a minute. All right? Let me ask you a question. If God said... I'm going to give you all of Florida. I'm going to give you from the Florida borders. I'm going to give you from the, all, the, all the way from Miami to Jacksonville, all the way from uh, Pensacola. Is it Pensacola? It's the furthest. Huh? Pensacola is the furthest east. All the way from Pensacola, all the way down around Tampa, all the way, all the way down. I'm going to give you that whole thing. My first reaction would not be, you know, would not necessarily be, woohoo, glory to God, I got Florida. 
My, my, my first reaction would be, Lord, there are people living in Florida. What are you going to do with them? We're going to kick them all out? Because that's exactly what he told Abram. He told him, I'm going to give you this land from here to here and from here to here. I'm going to give it all to you. What's the first thing you're going to do? And he said, it's the land of the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the other, all the Ike cousins, all right? He said, I'm going to give you all this land. And he said, it's theirs now, but I'm giving it to you. He said, wait a minute. How do I know you're going to do this? Notice this. He said, I am the Lord. Notice this, verse 7. I am the Lord who brought you out of the earth of the Chaldeans to give you this land. Again, again, he's telling, he's going to give them Florida. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of. And he said to them, Lord God, how? Now, this is, this is very, this is very true about this. It's a very natural reaction. But notice this, verse 8. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, listen real carefully. He says this, how? You know, wouldn't that be one of your first questions? If God said, I'm going to give you Florida, what would you say? How are you, how are you going to do that, Lord? How do I know that you're going to do this? How am I assured that you're going to do this? But notice here, verse number 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Now, what he's doing is he's saying, I'm about to enter into a covenant with you. And, you know, it didn't, you, know, you notice we never hear Abram say here, what do you mean, God? What do you mean? What, what, do, you, what do you mean? What are we going to do with this, with these animals? Abram knew exactly what blood covenant was. And he was saying, God is going to make a blood covenant with man to give him this land. Let's see real carefully. Notice this, he says, verse 10, that he brought all these to him and cut them in two and down in the middle, he, 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 and he separated. Now, he, when he said he cut them and halved them, he did not have them this way. He did not have them away, across ways. He halved them from the head down the spine to the back. He, uh, that's the way he did it. He split them down the back, and he laid the two pieces over on the sides. Now, notice this again in verse number 10. Then he brought all, the, um, uh, all these to him and cut them in two down the middle, and the places of each piece opposite the other, and, uh, but he did not cut the birds in two. Now, listen, let me ask you a question. If you've ever been around, now, if you've ever been raised, and some of you that are here this morning, you've been raised around farms or on farms, and you know a little bit about this. Civilized man doesn't know much about this because when you go only to the store to pick your chicken breast up that's already been deboned, deskinned, and all that, I mean, it's basically all, all of the mess has been taken away, all right? When you pick up your beef, you basically pick it up in a styrofoam package, but there was, a, there was some place, there was a whole lot of mess that took place in order to, for you to get that there. How many know what I'm talking about? And so, how many know that when Abram takes this three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, and a three-year-old ram, and splits them down the middle, there is a mess here. The ground is cut. Now, I don't want to just gross you out, but the ground is completely bloodied. I mean, to the place that it, the ground is soaked with this, these animals' blood. And now he's got these halves on this outer... He's made basically a hallway of blood, so to speak. Now notice this. He cut them in pieces and put the pieces opposite each other. And he did, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came and uh, came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Now listen real carefully. How many know that God, Abram's waiting for God here? 
Abram was waiting for God. He's standing, getting ready to make covenant with God. And notice this, the vultures come along. How many know that the vultures are a type of the devil that are trying to steal you, steal your covenant away? It's the thoughts that say, this really is not going to happen. He really didn't, he didn't really mean what he said. Yeah, he may have said that, but you know, to really make good on it, well, you know, now wait a minute. But notice here, he says, verse 12, but when the sun was going down and deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, a horror and a great darkness fell upon him. Notice this, verse 13. And then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and will, be afflict, uh, will afflict them for 400 years. Again, that was speaking of Egypt. But notice this. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge afterwards. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you... You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. But notice verse 17. And when it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Now, Abram had gotten so sleepy. He got so great sleep had fell on him. He literally, notice this, he's sitting there waiting on God. In the midst of that blood, waiting for him. Now again, this was not, this was not an unknown practice of this Eastern culture. He knew what blood covenant was, and here's this hallway of blood with the pieces of these animals on each side, and he's standing there, covered in blood, because, ladies and gentlemen, you're not going to split an animal and not get any on you. He's covered in this blood. And then all of a sudden, he's standing there. He beats off the, he beats off the vultures to stand off it. But then a deep sleep comes on him. Well, where do you think he's sleeping? He fell right in the middle of all that. Now he's covered from head to toe in the blood. How many know when you, when you're covered in the blood, that's a good thing. (laughs) And it was when he was covered in that blood that he, that, that, that's when that smoking oven and that burning torch Pass through those people. And I, I honestly believe this now. Well, you can't prove it and you can't, you can't disprove it and I can't prove it. But I honestly believe you could probably see God's footsteps through that. That He walked through and passed through that covenant and made a covenant with man, said, I'm not only going to do this, but I'm also going to do something for, I'm also going to do for something for mankind with this covenant. Now watch this real carefully. This is significant. Because what Naaman did is that he recognized that what God had did for Abraham and all of his descendants, that this was partly the reason why there was such a blessing on Israel and why God could heal uh, heal leprosy. So he said, I'm going to take some of this ground here and I'm going to take it with me so that when I pray, I can stand on this ground and I can have the right kind of ground. But I got to thinking, two mule loads of earth. Why two? Why two mule loads of earth? Why two? Why, why, why not just one? Why not three? Why not five? I mean, you know, basically he had enough for about a pitcher's mound. You know, two mules, that's about a pitcher's mound kind of, kind of amount of dirt. But notice this. Well, go over with me to Hebrews chapter 6. The book of Hebrews chapter 6. Glory to God. Hope you get this. This is good. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 6. Notice here. In verse number, well, let's begin reading here in verse number 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, he could swear by no greater. He swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. And so, 
after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For indeed, men swear by the greater, for an oath of confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. In other words, when they say, I've got a blood covenant here. Now, I know that's a little gray to us still because we, we need to find out what covenants are about. But when basically, you go to the contract. In other words, if you make a contract, so you sign on the dotted line for your mortgage or you sign on the dotted line for some kind of contract, and if you start defaulting or if they start, if they start trying to make you pay more at a certain point, what do you do? You go back to the original contract, don't you? And so the original contract is basically an end to any kind of disputing whether they want more out of you and you're not obligated to according to the contract or if you are defaulted, they have to go back to the contract and say, hey, this is the original contract that both of us agreed to. But notice this, what he says here in verse number seven, in verse number 16, for men indeed swear by the greater for an oath of confirmation. In other words, the contract is for them an end of all dispute. Verse 17, thus God, everybody say thus God. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, he confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things, everybody say two immutable things. Immutable things means unchangeable things. It means two solid things, two eternal things. Now notice this real carefully. What two things is he talking about? If you will, take your pen out and I want you to go to verse 13 and I want you to circle the word promise in verse 13. When God made a promise to Abraham. He could swear by no grace. But then go down, if you would, to verse number 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. Notice this. God confirmed it by, confirmed what? Confirmed the promise by a what? By an oath. Circle the word oath, if you would. Circle the word oath. That by two. Now take your, take a line from promise Take a, take a line and take it and go down from promise down to two immutable things and take the word oath and draw a line to two immutable things. These two immutable things, the promise and the oath, that by two immutable things, in that it was impossible for God to lie, that we might have strong consolation, comfort, that we might have strong security, that we might have strong assurance, that we might have strong confidence, consolation. Notice this. Consolation, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. In other words, what he's saying here is that Naaman is saying, I've got two Mule loads of earth. That's what the two mule loads of earth. He's got one that was promise. One was oath. Ladies and gentlemen, when you want something and need something from God, go back to what he said. What did he promise you concerning this issue? Did God make promise about it? That's one side of it. If God said, if God said he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction, that is one. If he says, uh, you know, uh, uh, for instance, he said, uh, in Isaiah chapter 53, concerning healing, he said, by his stripes we are healed. Second Peter 2.24, by whose stripes we were healed. Listen real carefully. Isn't that the promise? Does God promise us something concerning healing? But let me ask you a question. Does God, when we talk about oath, what we're really talking about an oath is this, is that the oath is, the oath is, what did God say about who he is? 
In other words, he says, I am going to do this. I am as much as lies within me. I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of integrity. I am the one who will perform this and give you this land, Abraham. But let me ask you a question. Concerning the area of healing, did God say that he was anything in concerning healing? Did he say in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, I am the Lord thy God that heals you? Is there a name given to God where we can ascribe healing to him? What is it? Jehovah Rapha. So if we have a promise, you getting this? And we have his oath, ladies and gentlemen, between the promise and the oath. There was enough for Abraham to believe this. And not only did he get all of his descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sands of the sea, but he also inherited all the land that God told him just on the one issue that if you got the promise and you've got the oath, that these two two immutable things are enough to guarantee you anything from God. Notice this. This is something that blessed me. Notice this here in verse number 17. Thus God, listen real carefully. It's talking about his disposition. Everybody say God's disposition. God's disposition in verse 17 is, Thus God determining to show more abundantly, not to Abraham, but to who? What does it say there? Who's God trying to show off? towards who's God trying to show out for who is he determining to understand this more importantly anybody know the heirs let me ask you a question it didn't say Abram now God made the promise to Abram he made the oath to Abram he confirmed the promise with an oath to Abram not only will I do this but I am I am. But notice this real carefully. He was more determined not to show Abraham. He was more determined to show you and me. <laughs> he was more determined. Notice here, verse again, verse 17. He said, determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel. In other words, he wants to show to you and to me that he, what he says he will do, he will never retract from it, he will never back up from it, he will never pause in it, he will never, he will never cause himself to withdraw from his word, that if you can get, if you can go to him on the basis of his promise and you say, yeah, but you said not only you would, but you said you are, then you can, got, you've got strong hope, strong consolation, you've got strong comfort that no matter what you need in life, that you can raise your hand and say, I know that he promised and I know what he said, but I know who he is too. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but that happens in every area of life. Did God say, did God give you a promise that he'd take care of you financially? What did he say? Anybody? Any scripture whatsoever. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Anybody have another one? We, want to, we don't want to just build a doctrine out of one scripture now. Come on. Given it shall be given. Luke chapter 6 verse 38. Given it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall he cause men to give back to you? All right. One more. 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. How many know that God wants to take care of you financially? But let me ask you a question. Those are all promises. Did he say anything, or is there any name ascribed to him, whereby you can have your needs and have your desires met? Jehovah Jireh. Now, the literal translation of Jehovah Jireh is the Lord God who sees ahead. That's literal translation. Who sees ahead. What is he seeing ahead? He's going before you and seeing ahead what you need before you even have need of it so that by the time you get there, you can have your need met. That's the same thing happened to Abraham. Abraham ascribed that name to him at the place that he had asked, that God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. And he said he named that place Jehovah Jireh. It is the God who sees ahead. I like that. Is there any other name that is given to him whereby we can ascribe to him that he is more than enough for our finances? Everybody, anybody ever heard the name El Shaddai? It is the breasty one, the one who takes care, the one who nurtures, the God that is more than enough to meet your needs. Amen. Well, let me ask a question. You could, can't you do that then with any and every area? What about your finances? What about your healing? What about every area of your life? What about your family? What about your destiny? What about your destiny? Now, now, now Paul wrote this. He said this. I like this. He said this. He said, I know in whom I have committed these things to. Talking about his future. I know in whom I've committed. But he also says this, the same God who started, he who has begun a good thing in you shall... Why is it that so many people, they're they're wanting to get in the ministry, they're wanting to start it. If God started the process... God will finish the process as you cooperate with Him. Amen. Not only did He promise that, but He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and I am the last. I am the author and I am the finisher of your faith. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Ladies and gentlemen, we're not people without hope. We are people that have strong consolation. Because by two immutable things, then in that he it's impossible for God to lie. But then he can't he can't quit being God. Hallelujah! He can't quit being himself. He can't stop up and say, "Well, you know, now one day I'm going to be faithful, and the next day I'm not going to be faithful." How many know that that doesn't work? If you're faithful, you're faithful. <laughs> if you have integrity, you have integrity. You can't be one thing a minute and next thing the next. You can't be truth one minute and be a liar the next. Amen. And so we know this, is that if He made promise to us that all the promises of God are in Him, yea, and in Him, amen. Glory to God. That all of the promises of God are ours for our taking, not only because we have the promise, ladies and gentlemen, but we have access to the very one that made those promises, and He'll, he'll give you the name. Ladies and gentlemen, I've, went, I've, I've used this same principle not only in the areas of healing and not only the areas of finances, but I've used it in the areas of the things that I need to, that needed in the ministry. And say, God, now you said you'd supply this. You, you said you'd do this. You said you'd do this. Now, you also are this. One thing is, is what he said he'd do about it. The next thing is, is he, he is that. Amen.
Thank you for listening. If you would like additional ministry material, you may contact us at Church Alive International, P.O. Box 4483, Marietta, Georgia, 30061. Thank you, and God bless you.